I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Bucket Talk. Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, Andrew Gillis. Today's Thursday pod is a rapid fire brought to you by the Texter. Sign up for the text 614-350-3315. I don't right off the bat with the ad. That's uh, Oh, well, that's what we're doing here on Buckeye Talk. <laughs> I sent Nathan and Andrew about 10 questions that will go up. There's a lot more than that, but we're just going to start with these 10 questions here. And Nathan sent an answer to one of the t- questions already to the texters. So we're going to start with that question here on the pod. But if you wanted to get it earlier in the day or earlier, literally the day before, sign up for the text. 614-350-3315. From Arj Sarge. I think is how you say that. And if I'm not saying that correctly, I apologize, but it looks like Art Sarge. From the 513, as we think about the season and individual accomplishments, should we be tempering our expectations? If week zero was any indication, the game seemed to fly by like a 2023 baseball game, which I don't know if that's true or not. I don't watch baseball, so that's up to you, Nathan, to also answer. With fewer drives per game, I think individual stats will likely be dampened compared to recent history. So a 1,200-yard season for Mark might be as impressive as a 1,500-plus-yard season in past years. Am I off base? Nathan, Ryan Day actually got asked about that on Tuesday and the new you know, play clock rules and such. Should a fan be worried about offensive numbers? What He also gave what the play average was. Give what that was, but then also should fans be worried about that? Right. So and just to, to to back people up a little bit, the new rule is that the clock doesn't stop on first downs. It stops mm-hmm. on first downs only in the last two minutes of each half. So it's it's basically NFL rules on first downs now. Correct. And college has had its, you know, clock stops on every first down going back to, you know, before Newt Rockney or whatever. But this is going to be a big change. And it was it was noticeable in the first week. I don't know if I would call it dramatic yet, but it's only a handful of games in week zero. So there were seven games played involving FBS teams. And those teams averaged 63.31 plays per game. Those same teams last year, except taking out Jackson State because I didn't have data on them because they were FCS last year, 
averaged 66.93 plays per game. That is a, if you if you put those two together, the two averages together, there's basically like seven less plays per game. If you take two average teams compared to two average teams of those, of those, of just of that group, just of that cohort mm-hmm. last year. So seven less plays per game. That's noticeable. Only two of those teams last year averaged fewer than 63 plays per game. So I think there's basically two questions here. One is, one is like, how does it affect the game and what does it mean for Ohio State? And Ryan Day was, you know, he, he heard that number. He, they had done their own research. They had that 63 number, and he called that significant. And, you know, that's a team that wants to play as many plays as possible, especially early in a game. You know, get as many times, get as many touches, hands on the ball as many as often as possible so you can go after, you know, opponents. What does it mean in terms of stats and stuff like that? Um, I, I think that's a much lesser concern. And, and the way that the texter phrased it, you know, the difference between like 1,200 and 1,500, that's a pretty massive difference. I don't think, mm-hmm. you know, three and a half plays per game right now per team turns into that kind of statistical difference. I think it could make a little difference on the margins, but I don't think it's going to cause a, a significant difference in stats you know i always taught think about like when i used to play sports video games like football video games and you'd play with the five minute quarters and you couldn't ever really like recreate the full stats for a team in a season unless you played like the 15 minute quarters but then that just took forever um so nobody did that that's insane so uh, i don't think it's going to be anything like that dramatic uh, but but i think you you might notice some things on the margins i think what's much more interesting is our opponents going to be able to use this as a weapon against ohio state is there a team that because the clock doesn't stop and just keeps rolling that, you know, every first down is a little bit more valuable now that it gets against Ohio State? That's fewer that's fewer times you're giving Ohio State the ball potentially over the course of a game. But if you're not actually doing anything with those drives, if you're not actually ending up with points on those drives, I, I don't know that that necessarily matters because Ohio State is still going to end up with points a large amount of the time when it's driving. Well, first of all, to adjust the video game portion of that. It sounds like your offenses weren't explosive whatsoever. You were running the Wisconsin offensives of the past. No, listen. I average 45 points a game in NCAA 14 right now. So Right. I'm not talking about points. I'm talking about like the actual stats. Like if you were a nerd and you wanted like a team, like a whole team where like all the stats made sense, like you usually get like a couple Uh of guys who did, but you weren't getting Mm -hmm. that full like pretty distribution of like a full Mm -hmm. team's stats. That's what I'm talking about here. Uh, The Uh number, you can still put up the points. Absolutely. But I'm talking about like if you really want to geek out and put up those those player by player stat things. Um, I was mm-hmm. actually someone who nerded out on those games to the point I would come home from college and me and my younger brother would spend days just doing all the front office stuff, whether it was college or NFL, Madden or NCAA, and just simulating the games. We didn't care about playing the games. We just wanted to do the mm-hmm. recruiting and the free agency and all that stuff. Yeah. Well, you'll be able to do that next summer, allegedly, because apparently the game's coming back out here. But back to more pressing matters at the moment here from a football perspective. Andrew, I think this is something that we're not going to see how big of the impact it is until two good football teams get on the same field together. Because watching San Jose State against USC, I mean, USC still did what USC would have done in a normal situation. Notre Dame still did against Navy what it would have done in a normal situation. So to Nathan's point of, Who's going to use it as a weapon against Ohio State? I wonder what teams out there know this is their best chance of of at least competing. And is that how you're maybe looking at this? Is this something that maybe Penn State or Michigan can use more to their advantage than 
say Rutgers or Maryland can. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, I think this is a this is a situation where, you know, like the first thing that I thought of was, you know, I was watching the game and, um, you know, I was watching the games on Saturday uh, as I was moving in. So I was, you know, I wasn't fully invested, but, you know, I did kind of notice I had Notre Dame Navy on in the background and I went, wait a minute, was I cleaning for that long? Like, was I was I really doing that for that long? And then I kind of looked at the clock. I was like, that was like a 40, 45 minute first quarter. Uh, but I also think that that has to do with just the fact that they're Notre Dame and Navy. Um, I am curious, like what happens when Ohio state plays Penn state and Penn state decides we're going to air this thing out. Like what happens when I'm trying to think of a good example, like USC plays Oregon or something like, like what happens in those matchups where the big, you know, the big, you know, the big plays, the big passes and everything like that. Like, does that look more like a normal game? Like, you know, I think the pitch clock in baseball, you know, that was what we were kind of talking about, or that was what um, you mentioned. Like, that's, I think, probably too far of a difference than what you're going to see in football. Like, I just, I don't think it's going to be that big of a difference. Um, But I do think that it's not going to help teams like, you know, uh, like a Western Kentucky or like, uh, you know, an Indiana or like those teams. I think this is going to help teams that are kind of at that second, third, fourth tier, however you want to phrase it, the Wisconsin's, the Notre Dame's, the Penn State's, like those teams against Ohio State, I think it's going to help them more. Um, and uh, I, I pulled this up as Nathan was talking. Uh, for those out there who are interested, uh, this is per Bet Rivers Sportsbook. Uh, unders closed at seven and three in week zero. Uh, so I think that uh, if you are a, I don't know how soon or if Vegas has already adapted to that, but if you are a gambler, if you dabble, uh, I know they say life's too short to bet the under, but you might want to check into that on week one um, because teams might not have as many plays or teams probably definitely won't have as many plays. So uh, I think that. There's going to be a few changes like that, you know, the, un, you know, over-unders, things like that. But I don't know, like you said, I don't think you're going to get massive stat- statistical differences from, you know, from last year to this year. Yeah, Vegas will adjust to that, but I imagine, and I would be curious what Tishu would say about whether he, that was something he noticed early on, that it's something that sharp people can take advantage of. From a football perspective, I do think it's going to make a difference in one big coaching strategy and that's timeout management because in the way the game is structured now you can blow your timeouts early in halves even in the second half if you have to and it isn't like critical like you get a team down by a touchdown with 45 seconds left starting from his own 15 yard line in the college game is not like a, a horrible situation to be in whereas in the nfl you'd really need timeouts to make anything happen there and in, in college or most most quarterbacks um, the, the quarterbacks I've had to watch with the Bears growing up, for instance, would need like seven timeouts to make something happen there. But in the, in the college game now, on the field. yeah, in the college game now, Bears bad example maybe. In the college game <laughs> now, um, in the in the in this previous iteration, you know, Ryan Day could if something just doesn't look right on the first series yeah. of the game, just burn a timeout. You know, yeah, get everybody mm-hmm. on the same page. He was never really that worried. I don't think about using having that timeout late in the game. And now you're in a situation where you have to 
maximize, you know, and especially if you're talking about the second half. So let's say you're you're up 27-24 against Penn State and you get the ball back with like five minutes left and Penn State doesn't have any timeouts or is only down to one timeout because of things that happened earlier in the game. That's a huge disadvantage that they're at now because you get to really milk that clock down to at least that two-minute point. Now, you can't milk it in those final two minutes as much anymore. But I don't know. I think it's going to be interesting to see how coaches adapt to this and how much steady they've already put into it. The fortunate thing for them is you've already got the NFL template that's been there for years. Guys like Ryan Day and a lot of these college coaches have had some taste of the NFL, and that's maybe going to help them adapt to this, that they already can switch the mindset one way or the other and and, and have an idea of how they want to approach those situations. The defensive aspect is interesting to me because you, I mean, Ryan Day does it all the time offensively, where it's like, I don't like what I'm seeing. We're three plays in the game, but we're burning a timeout here. But I'm thinking Peach Bowl, where Georgia sniffs out the fake punt and they go to call a timeout in those situations. There's plenty mm-hmm. of situations like that that happen in college football because you see it in the NFL all the time. Teams don't like using timeouts on defense because you would rather have it when you have the ball. So, how many, how more often do we see those situations where Something doesn't look like look right, but you got your defense out there, and now you're weighing the options of should we call a timeout in this situation? Should we burn this timeout that we might need later on in the game? Which Georgia didn't end up needing it because they got a 75 play touchdown off, but they could have very much easily needed that touchdown later in the game. So I think about that situation. I think about the longest drive ever against Rutgers where both teams just kept going back and forth on the goal line. They're calling timeouts because they're playing chess, not checkers. You can't really play chess with your timeouts in that same way anymore. When you have a situation like this from the nine, three, seven, what in your minds would be a successful outing for the offensive line against Indiana? In my opinion, it would be allowing two or fewer sacks and limited instant pressure from the edges in the passing game. When running it, it would be keeping the backs untouched for the first few yards of runs. I'm going to go first. Yeah, it sounds good to me. It sounds like a pretty solid day to me. Andrew, I mean, is that, you know, less than two sacks for a team who, I mean, CJ Stroud did not really get sacked last year. Justin Fields got sacked a lot, but that's because he held on to the ball and tried to make plays. CJ got rid of it. And if we're thinking that Kyle McCord is more in line with CJ Stroud in terms of wanting to hold on to the ball, is this? Kind of where you're thinking, less two or fewer sacks and letting these running backs get to the second level? On the second point, yeah, I think that that's fair. On the first point, I don't. Um, I think the, I look, I hate to be a watch the game, watch the tape guy, but sacks are not created equal. You know, like a sack on a first and 10 where Kyle McCord drops back and immediately has a defensive end just destroy him, and he has no time to look down the field, that's different than Kyle McCord takes a step back on third and 12, and instead of finding the underneath route, which is open, says, we need a first down here. We're, you know, we, we're at midfield. We got to get, get yardage. And he rolls around a little bit, you know, takes a step to his right, holds the ball for too long, trying to make a play, gets sacked. Those go down in the book as the same. Like, like you're not you. You can look at the end of the game and be like, "Wow, Kamal Court got sacked four times. That's crazy." But two, you know, two of them could be because he was holding on to the ball trying to make a play, or one of them could be it's Kamal Court's fault. The read was there and he didn't see it, and he turns around, he looks for you know second, third, fourth option, and then he takes the sack. So like, 
I don't know if sacks are necessarily always the best way to judge an offensive line. I think that they are a quarterback stat as well. Um, you know, I think you can kind of see that play itself out in a lot of different situations where, you know, hey, you'll have a young guy come in there or an inexperienced guy come in there. And sometimes the game just moves a little quick. I'm not saying this is going to happen for Kyle McCord, but, you know, all it takes is one or two. And then all of a sudden you're at two sacks and you don't meet that goal. And, and then it looks worse than I think it actually would be. So um, I don't know if that's if sacks are the correct way to look at that, just because there's so much that goes into that. You know, maybe McCord's trying to make a play. Maybe he misses a read. Maybe he just, I don't know. There, there's a lot of different scenarios that can happen there. So sacks, I don't want to put a number on it. I think glaring mistakes, and I know this is not like, you know, this is not a, 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 I'm trying to think of the way to phrase. This is not something that you can point to and say at the end of the game, look at this number, look at this stat, look at this statistic, look at this fact. Ohio State's offensive line was good. Offensive Ohio State's offensive line was bad. They were somewhere in the middle. Like, I, I think this is one of those things where as long as there's not very clear, you know, of, you know, offensive line bust, you know, they, uh, you know, they have to, um, you know, Indiana brings everybody and they bring six. Ohio State has five in protection. And all of a sudden somebody's getting double teamed and now two guys come free instead of one, which would be on the quarterback or whatever. You know, th- there's a lot of situations like that. So I, I think you got to be able to run the ball effectively. I think that that's obvious. Um, I, I, I think that, you know, averaging, you know, five, at least five yards of carry, I think that that would be kind of a good number to hit. Um, you know, you're I th- like just in terms of everybody for the game, I think that that's a good number. But as long as there's no glaring mistakes, and especially with some new starters on the offensive line, I look at holding penalties. I look at false start penalties. Um, you know, I, I mean, this could get illegal man downfield chop block, you know, those kind of ones that you don't see a lot, like those kind of mistakes are the ones that I would look at. So yeah, for me, I, I think it's the mistakes and then I think it's running the ball effectively and then sacks. It just depends. Yeah. I think that's a great point actually about the penalties. I think that gets overlooked too often. We, we look at sometimes just those counting stats, but those can be hugely critical you can look back at the Michigan game last year and in some other examples mm-hmm. where you know a miss mistimed false start or hold can can really be critical and I'm writing about this topic a little bit for Thursday on the site people and go to cleveland.com slash OSU because I'm curious if Indiana is going to look a little bit more like what it did in 2020 against Justin Fields than it did the last two years against CJ Stroud I mean you couldn't and we talked about this so much and wrote about it you could not blitz C.J. Stroud the same way you did Justin Fields, even though Justin Fields was more escapable because C.J. Stroud was such a smooth robot back there finding open guys and being just getting rid of the ball. Like he was, you were playing into his hands if you blitzed him too much. And people, I'm sure, remember the 2020 game. Ohio State's up 35-7 to at halftime of that game and ends up winning 42-35. to And part of it was because Indiana just dialed up a lot of stuff. And there, I can give you, I can give you raw numbers from that game. They sacked him five times. He got intercepted three times. It, you know, his his Heisman campaign basically slammed into a brick wall after he'd had just those video game start to the season uh, for the first three games. But it's really more what it did to him than what those numbers were. And Justin Fields looked uh, confused and agitated and lost out there. And 
it was the result of things that happened from there more than any one number that you could put on anything. So that's what I'm kind of looking for on Saturday. Like, does this offense look comfortable and does it absorb what Indiana throws at it? It's not going to always like there's going to be times Indiana's going to do something good defensively on Sunday. The, their head coach is a good defensive coach. Their uh, defensive coordinator is a guy who, by the way, knows Ohio State. Um, uh, Matt Guerreri, who was here last year as a uh, analyst and was a, a longtime assistant under Jim Knowles at other stops, and he knows what Ohio State does. He knows what Ohio State is, and he knows his athletes in the back end can't match up with Ohio State's receivers. So what's the counter to that? You can't just keep putting more defensive backs on the field. You only get 11 guys out there. So what do you try to do with those other six guys or five guys or however many it is to cause problems for those guys for for uh, for the quarterback so that he can't get to those receivers. I think you're going to see more of that. I mean, they, Josh Myers, I remember the interview with him after the Indiana game last year or in 2020, I should say. And that's, you know, that's a veteran center at that point, a guy who's heading off to the NFL. And he's talking about how they're bringing blitzes that they had not shown on film to that point. Again, it was the COVID year. You had less film to go by, but, you know, bringing exotic stuff, they were blitzing safeties. They were doing that thing where you're blitzing guys kind of right behind each other. So they're hidden mm-hmm. from the quarterback, just, just all sorts of stuff like that. And that was a better IU team than the one that Ohio State's going to see on Saturday. I still think they're going to probably try to get funky with it a little bit and, and, and make this offensive line and make this quarterback slash these quarterbacks show that they can read that and they can pick it up and they can make the right decision. Like don't, you can't, I I don't think that the solution for IU on Saturday is sit back and try to defend these receivers one-on-one all day, or even in zone, whatever. Like there's no way you're going to get picked apart. Eventually it's, it's a recipe for disaster and there may be a disaster anyway, but I think you've got to come after Ohio state. And I expect them to probably try that at, at least to the, at the start on Saturday. I mean, you start a new starting quarterback and you might throw another guy out there with him. This is perfect scenario yep. for Indiana to do all that. So I almost I'm wondering how simple the game plan will be. I'm wondering how much the running backs get involved in the passing game just for the sake of get the ball out of the quarterback's hands. And then we, we can reset later. But like make whoever the, the quarterback is out there, whether it's Kyle McCord as a starter, or you bring in Devin Brown out there. How often do they do things to make the quarterback's thought processing ability not matter nearly as much because the ball is out of his hands two seconds after it gets it because he you're right it's not justin fields where he can make something magical happen with his legs but even then he still got sacked five times and had three interceptions and it's not cj Stroud where he's solving the problem before the ball's even snapped you've got a new starting quarterback who has never really been through this before even with that start for common court that's akron that's not a big 10 game so i do wonder how much that comes into play with what play calls that Ryan Day calls on Saturday, where maybe he wants to be aggressive, but in its name of protecting his new starting quarterback, let's just get the ball in the hands of the weapons as quickly as possible. I do think it's it's not just the running backs getting involved in the passing game. I think you might see a run-heavy approach. Let the running mm-hmm. backs, let the running game help these quarterbacks get comfortable. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're, 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 we'll be doing our outrageous predictions I've been kind of locked in on mine all week already, so but it's not on that guise of they're going to run the ball a lot. Quick nonsense question before we take a break. We got a little bit of everything in here. Plus, some people want to know more about Andrew, which duh, they know about us. They know about me. Nobody they, they does. don't know that much about Andrew. You, 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 be surprised. you underestimate how sick they are of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a, okay, that's you. fair. <laughs> 
So from Chad in the 612, what's your game day or press box snack or beverage indulgence? So this one's hard because we get fed. Um, I always forget to eat during noon games. <laughs> so because I'm down on the field looking at stuff before the game and it's typically eggs and breakfast food at noon, which I'm always not a fan of. I don't, I've never really brought my own snacks to, to a press box before. Have either one of you done that? I've been told to, but I've never done it. Uh, I was covering a game at FedEx Field before, and I got told by somebody to bring my own food. And I was like, they'll feed us. It'll be fine. Uh, it was not fine. Um, some stadiums, some places, you definitely need to bring your own food, or else mm. you will have food poisoning for 48 hours. So uh, I've never done it, but I've been told to. There are a few places where you absolutely have to. Yeah, your mileage may vary both on quality and quantity of of food. And listen, I'm, yep. I am not a complainer when it comes to this stuff. I'm always like, you know, they don't have to feed us. I make mm-hmm. a living. I can provide for my own sustenance. It's a nice thing that they do. I'm glad that, you know, Jerry Emig and, and the whole operation over at Ohio State puts out the, the food that they do. And really everybody in the Big Ten does something. And um, so, but that, I, as, as Stephen was kind of alluding to, you're really, unless you bring your own thing, you're kind of just a, a slave to what's there. I mean, you're, whatever mm-hmm. they're offering, that's what you have to eat that day. And some places have some more snacky things that they throw out there too. But a lot of places it's, it's, you know, here's the meal. And, and, you know, if you don't like it, uh, there's the concession stand. So when, when I covered high schools, I used to always, like whenever I would go to a basketball or football game, almost like without fail, I would get peanut M&Ms. That was like my trademark mm. thing for a long time. But I just don't really, number one, I'm trying to eat less candy now that I'm you know, creeping closer to death day by day. But also it's just not as convenient. Like, you don't to go to a concession stand from a college football game involves a whole like, oh, you got to go down to the concourse and walk yeah. around and pay $47 for a, a Chick-fil-A or whatever. So it, really, the trick is not what they serve before the game. Everybody serves something before the game. It's whether they serve something after the game. So the the real important thing to remember for all sports writers, if you're an aspiring sports writer out there, it's like try to find out if they serve any food after the game. And if not, now you're on like a little scavenger mission during the game for what can I find to throw in a backpack or whatever that I can snack on when I'm filing stories after the game. That's the real clutch move. You know, Ohio State, they uh, they mostly are just before the game, and then they they sometimes bring down, like, leftover things for after the game. There's other places in the Big Ten that they'll throw out pizzas. They'll throw out other mm-hmm. a whole spread after the game, which is nice. Um, but it's if you, that's the that's where I feel like I – when I make mistakes, it's, it's that. I'm like, I wasn't thinking ahead about the fact that I'm going to be really hungry after this game, and I haven't planned ahead. Yeah, I think the the number one thing for me is it has to be simple, like a like because obviously, like if you're gonna get like if they're gonna have like you know pasta or burgers or something like that, like that's good. That, I'm not gonna do that during the game unless I'm like absolutely dying. Like so, it has to be kind of finger foods. So I'm typically like finger foods, easy to easy to snack on. I'll say that. So like popcorn, M and M's you know, like Reese's pieces, like those types of things, like that has to be, that has to be the, uh, the move. I think that's, that's where we, you and I defer. If they're serving me pasta, I'm getting pasta. Well, yeah, but I'm doing that. I'm do if, if it's a noon or not a noon, if it's a three 30 game, I'm doing that at one 15. I'm not doing that at 
415. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not doing that during the game where, like, sometimes you have yeah, to, like, times. sometimes focus your energy a little bit. Like, the to go to Nathan's point, the, so I'll, I'll give two. So the craziest press box I've ever seen, like, just for kind of what it was, was Akron. I don't know if Steven ever covered a football game at Akron, but, like, they course, had... I went to Kent State. Of course I did. Well, okay. Well, I don't know if you ever covered a game there. <laughs> give me a break. But... At they, the school that's 30 minutes away from the school I go to? I, you might not have covered football there. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know your life. I, you, you're talking about the listeners don't don't know me that well. I don't know you that well. This is true. This is true. Um, we met. <laughs> I yeah. was on vacation when he got hired. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we, the first time we ever met was on this podcast. Like the first time we ever said a word to each other was on this podcast. That's like very live. True. So great. Uh, but Akron was crazy because it was like they had Chick-fil-A. I was covering a football game there. They had Chick-fil-A and then they had like different tables set up. This place was ready to host the Super Bowl. Like they had different tables set up (laughs) with like M&Ms at this table, Skittles at this table, Mm -hmm. uh, chips at this table, Doritos at this table. They had easily 15 tables and every single one of them had a different snack, which was crazy. And then because this was midnight maction or midnight maction, midweek maction, and there was, I don't know, eight people in the stands and not a lot of people in the in the media core. They one of the SIDs came to us. It was me and two other writers for uh, the student newspaper at Ohio The Post. We were all sitting there. We were kind of eating. We had Swenson's before we had Chick-fil-A at the place. And then they came to us and they were like, hey, uh, ESPN's done. If you want to go back into that media room and get ESPN food, we go back there and I mean, it made Chick-fil-A look like peasant food like this. They had like steak and they had like like wedding chocolate cake like it was the nicest cake I've ever seen. And they had like all kinds of food and like sandwiches. It was crazy. So that was like that was just the wildest one in terms of like the amount of food that they've given you. And like this, this stands up. This is not like a, Oh, uh, Akron was crazy because it was Akron. This is like Akron was bananas to this day. And I've covered games in pro football stadiums, college football stadiums, everything. And Akron was number one. The last thing I'll say, the Cowboys at the end of their games, they sell or not. They don't sell. They have beer in the press box. They have two taps in the press box and you can just go get a cup of beer as soon as the game is over. So that I remember somebody told me about that and I thought they were kidding. It's like they, it was like Lone Star Brewing or something like that. Like some Mm -hmm. local brew that they had up there. They told me that and I thought it was a joke. I was like, there's no way they serve beer in the press box. And goddamn, there was beer in the press box at Mm -hmm. the end of the game. No, that's a, that's a very like previous generation thing. I remember the first time I went to a major league baseball game and, and came back to the press box after the game. And like, there were like guys just drinking cans of beer in the press box. Um, I, I worry that we might be straying a little bit from the, the, the context of the question, which where they said, they said like game day indulgence. So like, what mm-hmm. is, so let's say, let's like, let's look ahead to the bye week We're all at home yeah. on that Saturday and um, we're just, we're watching games from home. What's, what are you guys ordering or making for? Because I think I would probably be doing something special that day. That, uh, and I think it's probably roosters because that's kind of my go-to for those scenarios. If it's if I'm if I'm getting to sit at home on a Saturday and watch college football, I'm usually ordering up a, a spread of roosters. 
So that would be more like think, my indulgence. I think wings over is probably what I'm gonna uh, what I'm ordering. I ordered wings over on Saturday, um, when I, I had a couple of games on when I was unpacking and everything like that. So I think wings over is what I would order if I like wings over will be what I order. Like I, I know it's this was a question about college football, but like when when we have NFL Sunday, uh, not uh, not this weekend, but the following week, like. There will be like a twelve fifteen twelve thirty wings over wings wings over order sent in from uh, from yours truly, and I will sit down on the couch and knock it up for ten hours. So yeah, I think wings over is the non press box game day indulgence. Yeah, it's definitely roosters. There's two roosters within like a ten minute you know radius from my house, which is awesome, but also expensive to my bank account <laughs> but it is what it is it's definitely it's definitely roosters for sure because i don't like bw3s at nope. all it's it's i can't do it I, I i don't it's just not good wings to me roosters is great wings to me yeah agreed i think i think b-dubs has been surpassed b-dubs definitely seems like the 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 factory version of getting better for yes. elsewhere yeah, yes. and it's I don't know. I think this is more of like if you're listening to this and you live in like the Cincinnati area, Indiana, Kentucky, like down there, there's a place called Wings and Rings, which is really good. Like I I had thought I went there kind of begrudgingly when I was moving into Cincinnati and I thought that it was like a like a B dubs and I was like, uh, I don't know about this. And it it I think it was be- I think it was better than Roosters. So if you ever have a chance to go to Wings and Rings, I would get uh, I would do that over Roosters. I saw an episode of Undercover Boss with the CEO mm-hmm. of Wings and Rings because I think oh, it's really? based in Cincinnati. Yeah, um, I'm also a Frickers fan. Frickers is I good. I try to stop mm-hmm. at that Frickers in Richmond on my way back from yeah. Indiana a lot of times. So um, if you got a Frickers nearby, that's that's usually a good choice too. Canes or Zaxby's? See, I I've still never had Zaxby's. I've, oh, I've that's not, a mistake. I've, oh, that's a huge Zaxby's. mistake. I don't know where where is a Zaxby's close to Indianapolis. Me. I ever... Yeah, there's one in Indianapolis now. There is one. I've I've seen the one in Indianapolis. I think actually we drive by it on the way to we do. Bloomington. Maybe we should. Maybe Stephen and I, since yeah, we're going to be in Indiana, there you go. Make a Zaxby's stop on our way through Indy. Yeah. Better than Canes. I agree. Cool. Better than Canes. Stay on this. You can stay on this pod. Good. When we come back. <laughs> I cannot believe that conversation was so. Look at that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, conversation look, we've had. You said nonsense, so might as well. <laughs> we've talked about some interesting stuff since you've been on this pod, and that's the most interesting conversation we've had so far. When we come back, hopefully, some other conversations can measure up to the conversation about what we eat on game days, but also a lot from Andrew. People want to know about you, man. They want to know who you are. They want to make you family. So you're going to become family when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. 
That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Back here on Baka Talk, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, Andrew Gillis. Let's get back in the football first. We'll save the Andrew stuff for the end because, listen, he's the main event here. Nathan and I are just, you know, we're just vessels for Andrew to show off his character here. From the 419, Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State are all favored in Saturday's games by 30, 36, and 20 points. What can we learn about these three in games where they're so clearly overmatching their opponents? I suppose one could stumble, but I'm assuring these games will be over at halftime. What should knowledgeable fans look for in these games? So just for some background, obviously Ohio State's favored by 30 points against Indiana on Saturday. Michigan is currently favored by 36 points over East Carolina. And Penn State is currently favored by 20 and a half over West Virginia. All these, all, both of those teams are at home. Ohio State's on the road. Nathan, we'll start with you. In games where, you know, they're probably going to win by a lot of points, what are we supposed to learn about the three best teams in the Big Ten East? Well, every game, every team that he listed, or this person listed, this texter listed, thank you for texting, um, has some unproven area, right? Mm-hmm. And with Penn State and Ohio State, it's, it's pretty simple. I already mentioned with Ohio State, that especially depending on what Indiana decides to throw at it, but how does this offensive line and this quarterback handle being on the road in the Big Ten and a potentially chaotic defensive approach from the other mm-hmm. team if they decide to go that route? Uh, even if they don't, though, I think what the texture is getting at is important because it's we've talked before about the concept of like results independent analysis. Like Ohio State wins this game forty two to seven, but how did it win the game? Like what? Mm-hmm. How did it do the things that ended up with a forty two to seven score? Because there are probably a lot of ways you could get to a forty two to seven score against a bad team. Like how does it look there? Um, I keep thinking of as we relate to this Ohio State quarterback situation, and I'm going to extend this now to Penn State with Drew Aller, you know, who we we think they haven't officially named him the starter as of Wednesday afternoon. Yeah. We assume he will be the starter. Um, you know, how do those guys look? You know, you can score touchdowns without the quarterback. Kyle McCord destroyed uh, Akron in 2021, but. People looked at that game and looked at what C.J. Stroud did and said, oh, that's not as good as this other thing. You know what I'm saying? And I keep looking, I keep thinking back as it relates to this situation. And we talked about this on the pod not that long ago. It's Clemson in 2018. And Clemson didn't lose games with Kelly Bryant. And that's why they had to go to Trevor Lawrence. They -hmm. played them both. And what Kelly Bryant, who had been to the playoffs a year before, what he looked like was not as good as what they thought they could get if they switched quarterbacks. So it, it's all about having an independent standard separate from whether or not you're winning the game and sometimes even whether you're winning it comfortably or not. So I think you'll know it when you see it. You, and, it and this relates to Ohio State's defense, too. I mean, Ohio State won its first 11 games last year. But maybe, uh, maybe mm-hmm. an example would be like that Maryland game. You started to see things really turn towards what could be a problem, and then the next week they were. And those sorts of things, like take the score away, be looking at, um, is this defense getting third down stops? Is this defense creating third and long situations and then allowing the pass rush to, to do its work? Is this, are these cornerbacks looking like they know where they're supposed to be, which didn't happen for large chunks of last year? Like you can, you can find 
you're you're kind of setting a a standard of of perfection and working back from there. And that, and to some degree, maybe that's not that's not completely fair. You're going to have to allow for some human uh, error in there from time to time. But for the most part, I think what you want to see is you'll know it when you see it. it it's still mm-hmm. that's the easiest way. You, you you'll have a vibe as to whether or not in, Ohio State looked like it was taking a team apart, or whether Ohio State was just more talented. The reason why Ohio State will or won't win a national championship is going to show up against Indiana. And then it's going to show up next week, and then it's going to show up the week after that. The question is, Indiana is not going to be able to exploit it in a way to get to a win, but eventually you're going to play a team who can exploit it for a win. And so that's what you're always asking with teams like this is, all right, is that going to work against a playoff caliber team? Is a playoff caliber team going to exploit that? Last year, it was the cornerback situation, whether it was health or just lack of play. All right, is somebody going to eventually exploit it in a way that leads to a win? Yes, Michigan and Georgia did. The year before that, the defense is just not very good. Who's going to exploit it? Oregon exploited it. Michigan exploited it. The year before that, I mean, 2020, I don't know if we ever found it, but they only played eight games, so it was never really. But even then, the defense was still already starting its decline. 2018, can't tackle. Defensive scheme is weird. Team is just kind of off. It shows up against Purdue. 2017 against Iowa. JT Barrett not necessarily being on top of his game week after week. He shows up against Iowa. Ohio State's going to play eight games a year where it probably can just wake up and win. You're always looking for the thing that they have in their, that's a flaw, and their flaw that one of those other four teams can exploit year after year basis. And I think for me right now with Penn State, it's clearly the Drew Aller conversation. With Ohio State, it's is the defense actually going to take that next step and be a lead again? I think with Michigan, I think the Michigan one's hard right now because they are who they are and they do it very well. But maybe for them, it's are they ever going to take that next step and not just be the team who's built to be Ohio State, but actually be built to compete for national champions? Andrew, where is your head at with things like this? Yeah, I think... It's, you know, to, to kind of echo what Nathan said, I think it's situational. I think you look at, all right, here's how they call plays on third and eight. Here's how they, here's how they use the running backs in the passing game. You know, I think that that's all, that's all good and fair. Uh, the one thing I'm curious about is rotations, if and when, before, if and when the game gets out of hand. Um, you know, like if, if the game is like, what did, what did Nathan say? Like if it ends 42 to seven, I mean, by the end of that game, you're not really going to learn a lot, but what does a safety rotation look like in the first half, in the first quarter, in the first 20, 25 minutes? What does the defensive end rotation look like? Like how quick do they go to Kenyatta Jackson and Caden Curry? Like how do they use the Jack? How does, when does Carnell Tate play? Does Carnell Tate play when the game is, you know, when the game is not in doubt or when the game is still in doubt, like theoretically, like if, if it's 14 to three at the end of the first quarter or midway through the second quarter or whatever, are they keeping Travion Henderson in the game? Do they go to Mayan Williams? Do they go to Chip Trainum? Do they keep Dallin Hayden in the game? Like how how do they how do they utilize the running back uh, the running back room? How do they you know mix in some of the younger uh, receivers? Do they mix in some of the younger offensive linemen? Like are they comfortable with getting Luke Montgomery a series when it's seventeen to seven? Like is that a situation that you want to try out, or are you just going to roll with the starters? Like. I think early on, there are certain situations where that's not going to matter. Obviously, quarterback is one thing. Um, I'm kind of looking past quarterback for for answering this question. Like, I think that 
you know, is, is Travion Henderson getting all of the meaningful carries? Is, you know, who who's starting at safety? You know, how do they use Sonny Styles? It, it's not so much a, you know, how do they play in situations, in certain situations, because I think that's obviously true. I agree with that point. I also think it's who plays in those situations. You know, I know Steven has been talking about like, Ohio State should go four or five wide more often than they do. Do they do that? You know, do they put Carnell Tate on the field or do they just say, you know what, Xavier Johnson, go out there with Jaden Ballard and that's our five wide set. Like, how do you do that? I, that, that to me is just as interesting as, okay, how does, you know, Jack Sawyer look against Indiana's tackles? You know, how does Mike Hall disrupt the pocket? Because those guys are more talented on on whole on the whole than what Indiana has. So I think what they scheme up and how they scheme it up in terms of usage, in terms of play calling, you know, are they more aggressive? Like, do we see aggressive? Do we see going forward on certain downs and situations? Like, how how do they handle those situations? I think that's just as telling as how they play. Whether or not it works, that's that's kind of what I'm trying to say. Like independent like I think Steven said that like independent from results like what does this look like like what is the what is the input rather than the output I think the the who they're playing part is interesting um first of all if I'm, I've been trying to get them to go four wide receiver they go five wide receiver I might faint in the press box <laughs> God's formation but, but defensively Jim Knowles was getting asked some of these questions when he brought up the fact that Jordan Hancock can play in the nickel spot. So if he comes into the nickel spot, I think it was Tony Gerdman. He said, so what happens with Sonny Styles, right? Because he's playing the nickel. Does he go up to that high safety spot and you take whoever the adjuster is off? Or does Sonny Styles come off the field? And Jim Knowles was saying, well, he can be a safety. He can be a nickel. He can be a Sam linebacker. I mean, he can be all these. He can be everything. You know, he can he can cook your food, he can feed it to you, he can clean up afterward, and then he can put the baby to sleep because he's Sonny Styles, the Almighty. But what does the Rushman package look like if we see that in this game? Do they kick JT inside? Do they kick Jack Sawyer inside? If they get into a situation where Indiana's forcing them to put three linebackers on the field, is Cody Simon up there at Sam, the way that Jim Knowles has talked about? Do we see the Jack as much? I think offensively it is what it is. I'm not banking on them to go for a wide receiver because it's just it's just not what they do here. Right. But I am yeah. banking on them to go 12 and 13 personnel. So who's the second tight end when they go 12 personnel? Right. You know, when they go 13 personnel, is it Joe Royer and G. Scott? Uh, and defensively, everything I just said, I think that stuff is important because that stuff is independent of who the opponent is. That's just matchup situations. How does Cameron Martinez fit into this? Type? I think that stuff we're going to find out over the next couple of weeks because – Offenses have offensive game plans. So if Western Kentucky comes out next weekend and is constantly throwing the ball and forcing Ohio State to go dime, who comes on the field as your dime? If they're forcing you to always have three linebackers on the field, does Sonny Styles stay on the field as a linebacker or do you put Cody Simon? I think that stuff is interesting, and we're going to find that stuff out as well. Nathan, is that kind of on the lines you're thinking? Yeah, and I think Andrew sort of maybe inadvertently tripped over something that – I'm definitely hoping to pay attention to on Saturday. Well, no, just because it, you're talking about like being aggressive in situations, but one of the big points right. mm-hmm. of the way Ohio State ended last season was the change in mindset yep. for Ryan Day, for other aspects of the program between the Michigan loss and the Georgia game. And they talked about wanting to sustain that and carry it forward and have that be 
part of their identity this year and and be more aggressive, be more confident and not sort of like shrink from some of those situations. However, how do you do that while you're also maybe trying to ease a starting quarterback into things? Mm -hmm. or, or do you not look at it like that? Do you say no? Like part of the whole way that we've evaluated these quarterbacks is we have to sustain that mindset. So they have to play at this level. They have to do these things. Like that's, I think, a question maybe worth asking Ryan when we get him on Thursday. Uh, maybe I'll just ask that. Like, because I'm, I'm curious um, because that was such an important change that happened. And I don't think it could exist independent of, it couldn't just be solely for those circumstances. It couldn't just be that team had to do that. I think yeah. there were things there that have to be more prevalent throughout the program in general. And how do you then carry that forward with, and you have so many people back who are the same people, but that's mm -hmm. such an important change. And, and, and how you handle that position and maybe try to build that position the right way might conflict with having a more aggressive way of calling plays early. I could be wrong. So I think it's, it's, it's worth asking about um, because uh, it, that I don't think Ohio state wants to regress. The other part about that though, that may be something though, that, that doesn't show up as easily against Indiana anyway. I think it would show up more against Notre Dame. You, you would hope that that you would hope that it doesn't have to show up as much against Indiana because it has to do as much with with it is somewhat situational to some extent like when your back is against a wall or when the game is close or you know things like that like there there just may be a short window of time that those conditions occur on Saturday. I think overall macro level yes, but I think micro I think it has to be sprinkled in every week because. Maybe we should have saw a conservative Ryan Day coming against Michigan because of how hell-bit he was on running the ball, almost like over the top. I mean, we had multiple conversations about, can you just chuck it? Can you just throw it? Can you just let C.J. Stroud be C.J. Stroud, please? And then he did it in the Georgia game, and he said he was going to do it. He said he was going to be more aggressive. I think last year they spent so much time trying to prove they were something they weren't or at least trying to prove it in a way that nobody was really concerned with them proving it, that I think it built a habit. And then it showed up again in the Michigan game. And then he had a month to look himself in the mirror and go, eh, I'm trying to prove something when I know what we have here. Let's just do that. Let's just put the ball in the quarterback's hands and his receiver's hands, and let's just put on a light show. I agree with you. I don't think it needs to be C.J. Stroud's 54 passes against Oregon. That's too much. That's way too much. But there is a middle ground between what C.J. Stroud had to do the first two weeks of the season in 21 and what Ryan Day was doing last year where, no, I don't think Kyle McCord needs to come out and throw 35 passes against Indiana. At least he shouldn't have to. They shouldn't have to do that. They probably could, should be able to run the ball. But in those situations where it matters, as we're talking about, like you said, you know, independent results analysis. When it's third and one on the 35-yard line and you need the yard and you've got Marvin Harrison Jr. opposite side of the formation at X, you've got Emeka Ibuka in your slot, and you've got Julian Fleming as your Z, I think you throw the ball in that situation. And you do that every – you do what you do what makes your money. You do what puts the butter on the bread in the situations that matters. So then when you're playing in the games that matter most – 
you've already built up that habit. So I think that's important for me to see. Is is he still hell bent on it's third and two, we gotta be able to run the ball here, or does he just get the first down the way that Ohio State gets first downs? Scott in the 6.5, I think you asked a really good question that makes for a whole pod, but I did want to shout you out here to let you know that I did see your question. I think it's an interesting conversation to be had on a pod next week when, depending on how this quarterback situation plays out, we're not necessarily worried about whether the game is going to be close or not. So I'm going to save that one because I thought that was really interesting. Craig in San Diego asked, my rapid fire topic relates to special teams. I heard or maybe read somewhere that Travion and Emeka were in line for kick and punt returns this year. What? As in like, what? Those are two of the most critical keys to our offense and also have both been injured in prior years. Why would they risk additional hits on those two players when you are five deep in a a running back room and have five-star wide receiver depth? Have the coaching staff not learned the painful lessons on the impact of injuries in critical late-season games? Please talk me off the ledge here. Andrew, Parker Fleming said that Emeka Abuka will be handling punt returns this year. Uh, Ryan Day said that Travion Henderson was at least working with the special teams at times. There was one time in his career where he was the kick returner, and that was against Minnesota. Then we never saw him back there again. But So this is more of an Emeka Ibuka conversation than a Travion Henderson conversation. And a bigger picture, should your best players, as a guy coming from the NFL, where well, this is not always the case, should your best weapons be your return specialist? I think it's fine. Um, you know, I think one of the things to talk uh, Craig off the ledge here would be, number one, that is how you swing a game in big time games. You know, that like a punt return that goes 50 yards or for a touchdown or swings field position or whatever, like that's how you beat a team like Georgia. That's how you beat a team like Alabama or Michigan. Like those those kinds of plays, that that's how that gets done, right? Like you win games on you and, and frankly you can lose games on special teams. So um, you know, I think, you know, kind of having some star power there is pretty significant. Um, I'm trying to pull up the stats as I'm talking here, but I think it is important to know or at least it is important to remember that punt returns and kick returns are not exactly it's not like it kind of used to be where there's like wedge busters and you have a flying wedge coming down the field and like it's just you know 22 guys just running 20 miles an hour into each other like kick returns and punt returns happen way more infrequently than they used to so i would have to look and see um how many guys, uh, you know, like how many, how many returns that they actually had. But I just think that it doesn't happen a ton. Yeah. Like here, I just, so I just got it. According to a sports reference, college football reference, Xavier Johnson led the team in kick returns last year. He had 12 kick returns. So he averaged one kick return a game. Uh, punt returns, Emeka Egbuka, uh, almost tripped over that, 11 punt returns. They had a total 13, 14, 15 punt returns last year. They had a total of 17 kick returns last year. So you're talking 32 in a season. Like that is a very, very small number. So I I understand where you're coming from to look at it and say, well, you can still get hit. You can still do, you know, I, I get it, but having that kind of star power on the field matters. And also 
if you can break a game open and you can swing a game, I think it's worth that risk because again, if your number one kick returner is returning the ball on average once a game, that's fine. I'm not that worried about it. Same with punt returner. If, if you get one punt return a game, not that worried about it. Yeah. Craig, I would come in off the ledge. So here's exactly what Parker Fleming said when we talked to him very recently towards the end of camp about kick return. This is exact quote. We've got two guys we really like that have done it before. Emeka did it. X did it. X being Xavier Johnson. Trevor mm-hmm. Henderson's done it too. So there's a bunch of guys that are going to rotate back there and we're going to find the hot hand and get it rolling. First of all, that is a nothing. <laughs> that tells us nothing. Yes. Like That's a very, um, well, basically everybody on the roster who has two yeah. legs, which I think is all of them, and uh, you know can run a certain speed. Um, so I, I would not, I think that's probably where some of this has come from that he's mentioning them specifically, um, Trevin Henderson and Emeka Buka. All three of these guys are coming off of injuries that we've mentioned so far. You know, Trevin Henderson, mm-hmm. obviously with the, the big one that cost him in the last season and kept him out all spring. Mecca Buka missed the spring. Xavier Johnson missed the spring. There's injury situations happening all over the place here. I would say as it relates to kick return, I would be surprised if it was a Buka. I'd be really surprised if it was Henderson. I think there's a very good chance it's Xavier Johnson, but I think there are mm-hmm. some other people as they keep folding new people into this. Like you've got to find a role. We've already seen Chip Trainum go back there before. That's somebody yep. who has done it. We They've got to find some role for Evan Pryor and what he can be and do in an open field. And I know that they're still easing him back in to full everything that he can be coming off of an injury. So maybe that isn't something that happens right away, but I think it could be something that he's in the mix of that eventually this season. But punt return... I think you should be far less concerned about um, Garrett Wilson did it for a lot of his career mm-hmm. was never an issue for him. He, uh, and I mean, sometimes fielding punts was an issue for him, but like getting yeah. hurt was never really an issue for him. Yeah. Um, and, and that brings up my other point that punt return is, especially the way Ohio state thinks about it. When you have an offense like Ohio state, the number one thing about a punt return is the catch. Yes. The only thing that matters on a punt return, it, I don't think I don't think it was punt returners as being as prone to injury because it's mostly about being sure-handed and making fair catches and making good decisions on balls in the air, like deciding whether or not you're going to field it or not. That's what it's all about to me. So I would not have a lot of trepidation about putting a Mecca Buka back there again because the few times, the once or twice a year where you can dial it up and maybe take that shot, we've seen him almost do it. And as Andrew's saying, I mean. I know you. I understand why you might be worried about having your best players get hurt. But when you're down by four against Penn State and they're punting the ball to you in the fourth quarter, don't you want to make a Buka back there? So uh, there's a balance, right? Like I want the best guy on the field who could maybe house that to be the guy that's back there, as long as he's also those other things, as long as he's also sure-handed, as long as whatever. So I don't think there's a, a reason to be alarmed right now. We'll find out more on Saturday. This is one of the areas that – we get little glimpses of special teams when we see those two practices, but we don't see a lot. And it's a mm-hmm. lot of times it's a it's a cluster of like six guys rolling through there, all fielding kicks, all fielding punts. And it's one of the harder things to really pin down until you actually see them come out and play the first game. They just want you to catch the ball on punt return. They just want you to catch yeah. the ball. So don't turn it over. They're yeah. more, so they're more likely and, to go with a veteran guy who also plays and catches the ball on offense as well. I think kick return, you can be a one kick return has become so irrelevant in college football because it's a yep. lot of fair catching anyway. So maybe if you've got a true freshman who might be explosive, who's not going to see the field on offense, that's what they did with him back in 21. They put him back there at kick return and he had a yep. couple where he almost take it back. 
you throw out Xavier Johnson and Chip Trainum. I would throw out Brandon Ennis as a guy who could be a kick returner for you. Maybe Carnell mm-hmm. Tate. That's a way to get those guys on the field and get mm-hmm. them action. And then a year from now, they can play offense. And to your point, when Trevin Henderson went back there in 2021 for that Minnesota game, he was not yet the starting running back on this team. Yes. He was still being folded into what his full role in the offense was going to be. Once he had that full role in the offense, they were like, nah, none of that. And yeah. I think he'd be an guy actually back there on kick return because mm-hmm. you get to use him and out get him open in space and something fun could happen. But I, they have enough other talent on this team. I, I would be really surprised, really surprised if they – if they put him in harm's way like that, but we'll see. Yeah. Those, those type of guys, it's like, it's the Marvin thing from the spring where people tried to make a big deal that he was doing part return stuff. And he even went, guys, I'm literally just back here to work on my ball tracking skills. I'm not doing this. Mecca Abuka is doing it. I would assume that's the benefit that Travion Henderson does when he's in that. I mean, they got to do something during kick return and punt period, right? They can't just sit around and watch. They got to do something. So go back there and catch some balls. But yeah, I, I'm with you. I would expect, some of these backups to be involved with kick return while with punt return, they literally just want you to catch the ball. Now, if you see an opening, take it. That's it. Let's get the offense on the field and then we can go down there and score some points. We're going to take one more break. And then Andrew gets to become the star of the show here. This is your turn Seriously. to turn off the podcast, everybody. <laughs> it can't get way less interesting. You can't, no, you, can't you, you can't say that on a rapid fire pod where I ask the Texas for questions. Sign up for the Texas 614 And they are the reason <laughs> why you are being put. Yeah, this is not. I didn't do this on my own. I, I understand. I understand. So this is listen. This is the life you give the people you what they want. Yeah, man. That's what we do here at Buckeye Talk. And we're going to do that right here when we come back. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Back on Buckeye Talk, Stephen Means, Andrew Gillis, Nathan Baird. And Andrew from the 440 has a question for Andrew from the DMV. No relation whatsoever. And as you haven't talked much about your Ohio State relation in your life, I know you said you were a Notre Dame fan growing up, but have you ever been to Ohio Stadium? I'm just curious if you have any idea of what it would be like. Great job so far, man. Uh, so I have been to Ohio Stadium. I've been once. Uh, I saw them play Illinois in 2017. Uh, I, I mentioned this on this pod. Uh, I think it was like the first one that I did. Uh, my dad is a big Ohio State fan, uh, and he had never been to Ohio Stadium either. Uh, so we went out and we we picked it. Like I remember we were kind of asking him like what his games that he would want to see. It was something like he wants to see a Big Ten game. He wants him to win. He wants it to be like a mm. Saturday game, like a like an afternoon. I don't think he wanted to do like a like an eight o'clock game against like you know a Wisconsin or something like that. Like I think it was just kind of like 
let's just see them win. Uh, so we picked that game. Uh, it was a fun atmosphere. Uh, we did the, like we did a lot of the, um, uh, I almost said touristy stuff. Uh, we did a lot of the basic, like we did skull session. Uh, we went, we kind of walked around to a bunch of different tailgates. Um, you know, we went to the bookstore, you know, we saw all of the, uh, you know, all the statues walk through Buckeye Grove. We did, we did kind of the basic things that I'm sure a lot of people on this, um, you know, that are listening to this or that would text would say that you need to hit. Um, so we did that. That was a fun atmosphere. I think the funniest thing was that it was the, uh, not funny, haha, but it was the hardest that it has ever rained in Columbus, Ohio. I'm I'm convinced of that. It poured for the last, like, I don't know, handful of minutes that I was at, at the stadium and it was just ridiculous. Um, we, our hotel was actually within walking distance. So we walked back, but it was kind of funny that we're walking back and this was senior day, 2017. So they were playing at Michigan the next week and we were walking through and we saw all the street signs and all the buildings and everything already had the M's X'd out. Like it was, it was really cool. So that was fun. Um, I think the Penn State atmosphere is probably what I'm looking forward to the most. Um, I, I think that that's fair just because like, I, I remember a couple of weeks before we went to that Ohio State game, that was the epic, I think it was 39-38 game between Ohio State and Penn State, where Ohio State came back from like 21-3 or 28-10 hmm. or whatever that was. Um, you know, I, I remember they came back. So like, Seeing that atmosphere on TV was really cool, um, and I I hope that it's a fun game like that. Uh, I'm sure some people listening to this probably don't want it to be because their uh, their hearts might not be able to take it again. But that was a, that was a really fun game, and I hope we get kind of that atmosphere. So it was a fun atmosphere. I don't want to say it was boring because it wasn't boring. Like seeing oh like script Ohio was really cool, but I just think that there's like not just another level. I think that there's another like three or four levels that it's going to get cranked up for that Penn state game. So I'm excited for that one. Nathan, was that Florida Atlantic game in 2019, your first trip to Ohio stadium or had you covered again that before? I had been here at least once, if not twice for Purdue road games. There was a game that um, Ohio state had to come back and beat a Danny hope coached uh, Purdue team. So that would have been, I don't know, like maybe 20. F- when did they fire go? That was actually a while ago. Uh, that was that was late. That was ooh, that's been a while. That's been a hot minute because Hazel was there like 13, 14, 15, 16. So I must have mm-hmm. been in like 2011, 2012. Maybe that was like 2012 season. I can't remember. I'm rambling. But yeah, I've, I've, I've been here for a couple of road games and one under Urban Meyer that they, yeah, one, maybe that was the same game. So, um, yeah, 2012. And I actually went to I actually went to the Ohio State post game for that game. I was like the third guy on the team and went to the Ohio State post game. So I had I had mm. even actually been in the Ohio State interview room before oh. covering Ohio State. So um, that's part of like when you when you come from elsewhere in the Big Ten, you get to know the other environments and you sometimes get to like step behind the curtain a little bit and see what it's like being on the other beat and being you know covering another angle from the game. So. Uh, that that can be kind of fun. The only the only Big Ten road, the only Big Ten stadium I have not covered a game in is Iowa. Yeah, 
I think, I mean, I've been to all the East stadiums, obviously, at this point. I would have been able to check off Wisconsin this year, but, you know, I have friends who decide to make, you know, significant life choices in the fall instead of the summer like normal people. So I won't be at that game. I'm in a wedding. That's I'm in a wedding. I'm at that age where my friends are getting married at this point. Jacob in New Jersey. I guess this is more for Nathan and I because Andrew is new to covering the Big Ten. Since Andrew's joining, what's your favorite in-the-know trick for away games? Is there a faster entrance at Indiana's Memorial Stadium? Does Spartan Stadium have the best snacks? I never do anything with this information, but Andrew might. So I actually think Spartan Stadium, isn't that the one that has, there are a couple of places that have ice cream and they're just like, it's just like, yeah. you know, like coolers of ice cream. No, Spartan Stadium sucks. No, hold no, on. No, 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 no. Spartan, <laughs> Sta- yeah. Spartan Stadium Spartan gives Stadium us the sucks. tickets. They give us these yeah. food tickets and that's all you get for food. And it's, and it's not even the good food. It's like you get like a pretzel yeah. or a hot dog or nachos. It's yeah. like, it's, they might be the, and I don't, like I said before, I don't complain about this stuff. But if I were someone who complained, it's probably <laughs> mm-hmm. the worst of the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Minnesota is the one that has a lot of um, a lot of ice cream. Minnesota is like really a, good. Like blue ah, bunny yes, or Minnesota, yeah. where you need ice Minnesota cream. underrated. Minnesota underrated best Big Ten city. I think I love Minnesota so Minneapolis so much. Yeah. Um, my here's my two my two go tos, and one I've already shared with Andrew, and I think he's going to try to partake with me when we go to Rutgers is you have to go into New York City the night before. Like you stay For sure. in New Jersey, you stay right by the airport, you go you use the free shuttle, you get back after you check in in the afternoon, you get back on the shuttle, you go you take the train into New York City and now so it, it's like it's mm-hmm. a way to go to New York and get like a Broadway show or whatever, but the company is paying for your flight and your um your meal that night. So really you're putting out for the show, but it like, it like cuts a big part of the expense out of like this really cool experience of going to New York city. So that's one thing that like Doug taught me that I used to never, I used to just do the New Jersey side of things. And the first time I went out here with, with us, um, he, we went to New York city, you were on that trip, Steven. And like, you actually awesome. got to go to dinner and, and, and we went to a play. I don't remember what you did, but like, you I get went to, to Brooklyn go. and hung out with my friends. It was awesome. Right, right. But you get to have like cultural experiences. Or, or, yeah. So it's, it's, and I'm actually kind of bummed. I may be one of the only people in the world that's bummed that Ohio State isn't going to play Rutgers every year because it means you get to go to New York City every other year. But, yeah. and the other, the other, the other half of that is um, for the Maryland road trips, you stay in DC. You fly into DC, you stay in DC because it's not that hard to get up to College Park. And by just Uber or whatever you want to do, and um, you get to you, again, you're getting a free weekend uh, in in Washington D.C., which is a, a great city. Whether you want to do cultural things, it's a great food city. Um, it's it's these the more metropolitan cities. You there's there's some big Big Ten teams that aren't in those cities, but they're so close that why would you not take advantage of it? The, Her girlfriend loves DC. She yeah, loves well, DC. The DC trip, I mean, that's a homecoming for me. I'm from right outside right. DC. I'm yeah. from Northern Virginia. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that, true. that would be, you know, that's obviously big. The New York thing that, that needs to be brought up as a part of this is that I have never been to New York City. Um, you, you have to. Well, then we have to. I know. I, I have. I So I have looked at the skyline. I covered a game last year. The um, Bengals played the Jets. And I remember I stayed in like Hasbrook Heights or something, which was north of Newark. I flew into Newark, went north, and then I went out to dinner with some other writers in like Hoboken or something like that, Jersey City, whatever's like right there. We went, got some pizza, which was very expensive. And then 
I remember it was like 1030 and it was one o'clock game the next day. And I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm not going into New York City. Skyline looks cool, but I've never been. <laughs> Those are probably the two. The Rutgers trip's probably the, the, the highlight of the year for me, which is a weird thing to say because it's Rutgers. But I don't get to go to Wisconsin, so I don't get to experience that. But then all the other places we're going this year. I mean, Ann Arbor is not necessarily near Detroit. So it's not like you can go enjoy whatever they do in Detroit. So, yeah, it's definitely – we're going to New York City, Andrew. So don't expect to stay in your hotel. Oh, uh, I I was talking to Nathan York. yesterday, uh, right before the press conference. Uh, I've got family from Northeast Pennsylvania. It's like an hour and a half, two hours away from New York City, and they were talking about like coming to visit and like. So no. I was like telling Nathan, I was like, I might just go out like Thursday night. Like we have that Zoom call with Ryan Day. Like I might just go out like Thursday night and go see New York City Thursday night and then have all day Friday where I can just wake up and go do whatever. Uh, the other clutch thing is get plenty of sleep the night before the Big Ten Championship game. Oh, yeah. Because oh, it's a I, horrible I've been, turnaround. See, I've been briefed this by other writers. <laughs> I've been told. Yeah, like, yeah, listen, yeah, yeah. People tell me all the time. Like, from, Go ahead. From – so the game starts at what seven thirty, eight o'clock around there. Eight o'clock. So you probably get to the stadium five five thirty ish, depending on you know what you're doing, what you're eating dinner. From that moment you get to the stadium, you are not going to get a respectable amount of sleep until Monday. Yeah, because yeah. well, and the thing that so the the lesson that I got told. So I again, I have been briefed this, and this is very in the weeds journalism stuff, but I have been briefed this by multiple different people that. You show up to the game, Ohio State's going to play, like, they will, if, the, if they're there, the odds are, is that they have just beaten Michigan. So, like, they just, like, especially this year's team, they just, they overcame two straight losses. They did, you know, they, they beat the biggest team on their schedule. They, you know, all the fan, the fan base is going crazy. Like, it's this big thing. And then you turn around, and it's Purdue, or it's Iowa. Or it's like it's seven and five, whoever, and you're like, uh, okay. Well, they're already in the playoff. They're already here. So that ga- the game ends at like eleven, eleven thirty. They're gonna do the trophy presentation, assuming you know, presuming that they win. They're gonna do the trophy presentation. They're gonna do all that, and then the, what? I think noon is the uh, noon is the selection uh, show the next day. That is correct. So you, that's what I'm saying. You, yeah, fl- yeah. You drive back, and then all of a sudden, it's like what you know, what the hell, like this game doesn't even matter anymore. And it kind of doesn't even matter when it's happening to it, like to an extent, presuming that they're already going to make the college football playoff, no matter what happens. So yeah, I have been briefed that the big 10 championship game is wildly overrated to cover. So have no fears. I'm ready. So one more Andrew question. It's a very simple question from the nine, three, seven. Can we get Andrew's feelings on Ohio-style square-cut pizza? So, I actually didn't know that it was called ohio Like, what is Ohio? Like, is there a specific... I don't think it is. No, we just cut pizza. We just do like, a is, your, is it just... just it's, it, we just cut... It's not necessarily Ohio-style. That's just what's in the question. But what's your opinion on square-cut pizza? Not a fan. Um, I'll eat it. It's fine. I just prefer having like a typical, you know, triangular slice of pizza. I think that that I think it's easier to hold. 
I think it's less messy. Like, cause you know, sometimes you get like, it's not like, see, it's very different because like a square pizza is not like a brownie. Like if you get a brownie in the middle, like that, that's great. You know, it's, it's warm, it's soft on all the edges. That's fine. But if you get like a middle cut of pizza, you like, there's no like, I guess like the crust on a normal slice of pizza kind of keeps everything in a little bit. Like you take a bite and it just go, the sauce goes all out and the cheese goes all out. So not a fan. Uh, I think it's, I think uh, I'm very traditional in that sense. I like just regular Italian style pizza, New York style, whatever it was. I mean, I, I prefer a triangle cut pizza if I have my druthers most usually. However, Mm -hmm. Am I like the only sports writer who can eat a piece of square cut pizza without it just exploding comically all over my face and hands with the first no, bite? Like I can do it pretty easily. I don't it's understand. not that hard. Like it's not that big a deal. It's, it's not. not. If, if yeah, I'm pizza, not saying I, I need a bib. Eat. I will it's absolutely just... tell you this. I'll take delicious square cut pizza over mediocre triangle cut yeah. pizza. Oh, yeah. Any Agreed. day. I, Agreed. I care any about day. The ingredients. I take a, I care about the ingredients and everything. I'm not going to reject a pizza out of hand simply for its geometric dimensions. A hundred percent, for sure. I'm with you there. It's 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 pizza at the end of the day. Like it's Detroit pizza. style pizza, the square cut Detroit style pizza. Um, I'm probably not supposed to bring up Michigan things, but like that's a that's uh, that's solid pizza, man. Yeah, as long as you got good sauce, good cheese, and good bread, and a solid topping, it's good for me. I've got. Oh, oh wait yeah. a second. Oh, hold on. Wait, hold on, wait, hold on. wait, wait. I've got. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. My struggles with crust over the past year. Okay. Because you said yeah. good bread there, and I was like, wait a second. Are we. <laughs> okay. Have we. Okay. Have we. Uh, have we okay. moved so, past having the palate of the six year old? Let me give, let me give you some, back, some. Let me give you some back some backstory here. So I was not always a big fan of crust with pizza. Ah, neither was I. Then I turned six. Yeah, okay. Exactly. Well, well no. Exactly. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, do you, you also want the crust on the PB and J's or your grilled cheese sandwiches or whatever, you, whatever kind of sandwich? That's you not eat? the same type of crust. That's not. That's not correlation there. That's not the same type of thing there. More the more of the story is, I'm not really a fan of crust typically, unless it's like stuffed crust pizza. I, I like stuffed crust pizza. So, I didn't actually tell them that. I was not aware that they, I, yeah, I did not tell them that. So in 2019, I made this bet that I could eat. Have you ever been to Giordano's? No. Giordano's. No. Okay. They make stuffed crust, uh, Chicago style deep dish pizza. Not stuffed crust, but deep dish pizza. They're ridiculously large. There was one in Polaris. It's one oh, in Indianapolis. You should go try just it Google the picture. That's, yeah. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> in my younger days, I made a, the, declaration that I could eat a whole large pizza from Giordano's. Deep dish pizza. And I would say... Which we I immediately, think, immediately, even before this technicality that he brought up, yeah. we immediately called BS on that. We're of course. Like, You're not eating a deep, a large deep dish pizza from Giordano's. It's of course. deep dish pizza. It is a yeah. casserole. It's like eating an entire lasagna. Yeah, lasagna. It is. Go ahead, Stephen. So, Finish the rest of this story. And so I can't remember... This was this is off season, right? Yeah, it was off season, which is even more hilarious because I went to I went and covered a basketball game after I did this, which is ridiculous. But we did a pod of me versus the pizza, and I ate half of the pizza, but I didn't eat the crust on the pizza. So, so he ate like a third of the pizza. Yeah, it was a lot of pizza. That was a rough day for me. 
Because then I, when we went to cover the basketball game, everybody on the beat knew I was doing this. So I go to the game, and everyone's like, gee, the pizza. I'm going to the pizza to gee. You look awful. You look like you want to puke right now. And I'm just like, yeah, man. It's always like, a great a compliment. Pizza. It's always a great compliment to when which, somebody looks at you and says, you look awful right now. To I which did. he said, actually, I feel fine because I barely ate anything. <laughs> I ate a normal amount yeah, of pizza. That was a rough day. Um, that was a lot of pizza. Ari Wasserman showed up. to like This became like a spectacle when it didn't need to become a spectacle. But it is definitely one of the better pods that we did during okay, that era. Okay, so you ate, and Nathan. you ate how much of this pizza? Nathan, answer mm, this question. Probably please. a third. No, probably oh. a third. Probably a third. Yeah, I if, think that's if you think about if you if you eat like almost a half of a deep dish pizza, but none of the crust, it's probably a third. Yeah, that's probably fair. I'm gonna I'm gonna guesstimate that or estimate it to be about a third. That's pretty weak. Say so you can eat so a whole weak. one, you get uh, you get through a third of one. That's pretty tough. <laughs> so how much of it can you? It was eat? bad. I don't know. I'm not saying I All can right eat then. a whole one though. Nobody else is making it. Yeah, I'm not saying is, I could eat a whole one. You're making a declaration that they can eat that much. I stepped, listen, I stepped up to the plate and at least attempted to If I said I could run a five-minute mile and then ran an eight-and-a-half-minute mile, you'd be like, that's pretty tough. That's pretty tough, Andrew. But you're not – and I'd be like, how fast can you run a mile? You're not the one saying you can run a mile in X amount of time. I stepped up to, I stepped up to the plate. I, man I, in the I arena, man. I'm not on the team. Man I don't the, want to step up to the, the plate. <laughs> man in the arena. That's what they all say. Man in the arena. It's like if you said, oh, I can jump out of an airplane at 10,000 feet with no parachute and just like hit the ground running in stride and just just be fine. And we'd be like, no, you can't do that. And you'd be like, well, watch me. And we, you go up and do it. And obviously you just splat. And then you're laying in traction and we're making fun of you. And you're like, well, I'd like to see you do it. Like, no, yeah. nobody's going to try to do that. Why would we and try to do that? And also, and also Stephen, and ridiculous. Let's, let's, let's recur. You had a person tell you that you looked awful. You said you did look awful. You said you felt awful. You said somebody yeah. thought you were going to puke. Why would we do this again? I, I think fun. he was playing that up for effect, hoping, maybe forgetting that we had recorded the podcast, which would reveal how much he actually ate. Maybe he thought like, oh, if I show up and I, if I like put a pillow under my shirt and I, I like oh, kind yeah, of yeah, 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 hunch sure. over sure. like, I'm, like I'm sick, maybe I'll be able to pass off that I actually ate the whole pizza or, or died trying. But the, so, proof, the proof was on tape. The proof was so on tape. here's the deal. I'm the real winner here because I got a free pizza and a free t-shirt. Oh, this was free? Yes. Oh, so this was, this was like a, this was like a promotion. And I, no, it wasn't. It just turned no. into that once the people there realized what I was doing and that we were potting on. Yeah, Cleveland.com picked up the bill for this debacle. <laughs> um, and he probably... You know, ruin this. I, we almost though, like it, maybe it's time to hit the reset button because that was 2019, like you said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's you know that was a good four years ago. We've had four full seasons in there. It's the fifth season, so it's like maybe we need to come up with some other. So Stephen, maybe think about it for the next couple of weeks. Think of some other preposterous, mm. uh, ridiculous boast to make about your eating habits, and we'll see if if Cleveland.com will pick up the yeah. bill for us well, to watch you fail at that. Yeah, no, Stephen, I, that's just a, think yeah, of your favorite a, food like, place. Yeah. Well, I mean, my my diet has like drastically changed since that 2019 thing. So it's it, hmm. 
I gotta really think about it, honestly. Uh, Gluten free now. Um, I, I want to eat the crust now, but I can't. Maybe actually Andrew's the one. Andrew's the one who maybe needs to come up. Can yeah, Andrew? Can you the- eat like a Andrew? Can you eat like a wheelbarrow full of uh, wings over? Oh God, no. mm. uh, a wheel. Uh, how do you need a barrel like full? Yeah, we'd come up with like some standard dimensions. You, you need you to come up with like a quantification of wings over to yeah. eat. Oh, God. Yeah. it can't be like the it can't be like the little wheelbarrow that my fifteen month old has. It has to be like legit. Step up to like play maybe here. Maybe sell this at Home Depot. Take a swing. <sighs> wow. See what happens. Hmm. Yeah. I don't like this. You gotta listen. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Look what but here's but here's the key. Here's the key to this whole thing, Andrew. Stephen was not coerced into this. Stephen just this said was it. not forced upon Stephen. Well, I don't wait, I don't remember what the conversation was. We were doing something uh, talking about pizza, though. I didn't yeah. just like voluntarily say, "Hey guys, I can eat a whole Giordano." Yes, pizza. you did. No, 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 but no. Yes, there, you it, did. But it, it was in, <laughs> within context of us talking about it. It wasn't like we were talking about can Justin Fields throw 40 touchdown passes. And I said, forget all that. Let's talk about me eating this pizza. So it, it's got to come up naturally. We can't force it. That's what makes you for a good pod, when you don't force it. I can't find Hopefully this, this podcast episode. I've been looking this up on my phone. As it, dude, been it, was, it was four Buck years I talked ago. Giordano's, nothing's coming up. This was, back, this was back when we were still only doing one episode a week and then a post-game pod. And then COVID oh, That's true. So it would have been on the, yeah, like a, a Wednesday or a Thursday in 2019. So you're going to yeah. have to get your thumbs scrolling Back yeah. through there, so you, you um, got a little while there. I think somebody, somebody should step up though. Not me, not not me so much, but one of you, <laughs> not me, spry, yeah. One of you young spry guys who doesn't have to uh, support a family. You should you should take this on. Was this during the season? No, this was. I think I don't sh- think so. I can't remember what time it was. Um, and it might have been. It might have been in like November. Because basketball was going on too, so it might have been November or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I don't December. Know. Yeah, I'll find. I'll find it. It was fun times. Well, hopefully this was fun. Living down memory load a little bit. You got to. You got to get to know Andrew a little bit. Hopefully one day he says he can do something ridiculous, and then we'll do a pod on that too. Matter of fact, we should make him have to do something ridiculous mm-hmm. so we can do a pod. No, on that's that as the whole well. point. That's the whole point. It was completely, completely. Unforced. It was you. Just were like, no, I can like you could shoot me in the face with a cannon, and it wouldn't make a difference. And we were like, I, I don't think that's right. And then you were like, want to bet? And then you blew your head off. Like that's what it was. Like it's got to be completely. I think self. It has to be a self own. That's fair. I think what we learned from this is kids out there, if you're listening, always believe in yourself, even when you have no reason whatsoever to believe in yourself. For Nathan Baird, for Andrew Gillis, I'm the Invincible Stephen Means. And that was Buckeye Talk.